Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. We are. We are the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right. Yeah, that is right. That is right. This episode's topic was asked for by our uh, listener, Ace. Ace had requested an episode in the past when we did Street Fighter. So thank you, Ace, for requesting another episode. Also, thank you for sticking with the podcast. Anyway, Zach, what have you been playing recently? Seth, recently I've been playing a game that you have played a lot of, so I'm not going to talk too much about it. But that game is The Outer Worlds. It's a great game. It is a great game. It's the 2019 Obsidian game. It's a first-person role-playing adventure where you go to space. How have you been enjoying it so far? I've been loving it. So I'm going to say something positive about it. And I'll say something negative about it. Sure. The positive is, I think the writing in the game is fantastic. I think it's probably some of the best writing in a video game that I've ever read, ever experienced. The quips, the the, the witty humor, um, the kind of the ironic humor that you get. It's, it's just a lot of really good writing. I feel like it's Obsidian Unleashed. So like you've seen Obsidian's writing before, such as like Fallout New Vegas Um, they've also done like the Pillars of Eternity series where they've written and they've written a lot, but what they usually write, well, Fallout New Vegas, it's kind of fun, but like Pillars of Eternity is pretty serious. Outer Worlds is like unleashed kind of just silliness. Yeah, it's like they didn't have anyone to tell them to stop, so they just kept going. My complaint is regards to the actual gameplay um, in terms of the quest lines and stuff. I feel them to be not super engaging. I think the stories that develop through the quests are engaging, so I think learning about some of the side characters are engaging. I think the actual tasks of doing the quests can be kind of monotonous and sometimes a little boring. Mostly what I'm referring to the fact is when I play Outer Worlds, I obviously can't not draw similarities between it and fallout and a lot of the quest lines just feel like i'm playing fallout where it's like you go to place you find item you kill a bunch of people you return item it would have been nice if obsidian was able to kind of do something new because i think that's possible to do something new and to make the game have a bit more of a standout from from fallout though i do think it's saved very much by the storyline so i think that the writing and stuff saves the game 100 and that's why i love the game and i'll keep playing it there's just been a couple of moments that i felt that the actual like quest lines become kind of clunky or just the the quest lines just aren't as engaging as the story is so i've played through every single mission like i've 100 percent completed the game so i feel that in some quest lines it's actually one of the reasons why i recommend getting the expansion the murder on eridranus versus perils on gorgon so if you're gonna get it i mean if you're gonna get the dlc pack at a discount just get them both perils on gorgon is definitely a is more outer worlds uh it's really what it is it's a little bit i feel like a little more higher level outer worlds so it's a little more difficult outer worlds but it's still outer worlds nonetheless while murder on aerodranos takes the game it makes it fresh and they take this this concept of, of of murder that you have to try and solve and you really get to kind of go through the whodunit which is is i really really appreciate them doing that i've only been playing the base game so i'll definitely have to try out the dlc so i have the base game that i got through the ps4 like i have the disc i don't think it comes with the dlc so i'll have to probably buy the dlc separately but i'll certainly do so um i mean the game is engaging enough that i do want to play more of it obviously and i'm i'll play it for a few hours at a time like i'll just sit there and lose track of time Uh, i mean another thing that i think it does 
better than at least, for example, Fallout 4, is I feel like I have a bit more freedom with my character. For example, in Fallout 4, there are ways that you can talk yourself out of doing certain things, but for the most part, the game is very handholdy in terms of its quest lines. Whereas in this game, it feels a bit more kind of similar to what I would say, like New Vegas. You can do so much more if you like put your perks into the right place. So I have like, I have like really high persuasion in lying. So I can get out of anything by just telling a simple lie and people will believe me. So like I, for example, was caught lockpicking something and they came up to me and someone was like, what are you doing? And I used the lie option and I was like, I'm not doing anything. And they were like, okay. And they walked away and like, <laughs> I can just do that. So it's like, I can't get in trouble for, for breaking the law because I just lie everywhere I go. Those options are available in like Bethesda games and stuff like that. But I feel like this game just does it a little better where you can even talk yourself out of some of the bigger conflicts where you don't have to kill people. You could just kind of like talk them down, which I think is a nice, a nice feature. I also feel like there's a kind of an onion factor to Outer Worlds. There was a uh, a period of time where I played a good portion of the game, but then I put it down and I put it down for a while and I really couldn't get back into it. Then I re-rolled and started a fresh game and I really just kind of pushed myself to get past a certain point. After I hit that point, I was like, oh, actually this is really, really, really good. And I really started like really appreciating it for what it is. You might be in that like slog period of time with it, but it's definitely worth it. 100% payoff. Yeah, there, there is an interaction that I really enjoyed in it um, that's coming to mind about the different choices that you get as a character. And I was playing a, a very persuasive character who was okay with just paying people off. And there was a point in time where I got attacked and I just went up to the leader and was like, listen, how much are you guys actually making? <laughs> and... I was like, I'll just double that and you can just leave me alone. And they're like, okay. And I was like, all right, bye. And I avoided an entire combat with like 30 people because I had a lot of credits because I just sold everything. So, uh, but what about you? What about you? I know you have not been playing Outer Worlds. I have not been playing Outer Worlds recently since I have beaten it. And I'm decidedly in the camp of waiting for Outer Worlds 2 to come out. I have been playing Assassin's Creed. Ooh. No sub tag, no nothing just Assassin's Creed. The original game, released in 2008, developed and published by Ubisoft. So in uh, Assassin's Creed, if you haven't played it at all, you play as a guy named Desmond. He is a bartender, and he is also a descendant of an assassin named Altair. Desmond, at some point in time in the game, such as the beginning, is kidnapped by scientists and is forced to play a game in a thing called the Animus, where he plays as his past person, Altair. So then you play as Altair through a good portion of the game. Really, the gameplay takes place in Altair's life with a breakup of going and living Desmond's life in the, the creepy science facility that he's held hostage in. Because I, I don't think they have any like authority to hold him. And in the Assassin's Creed, in the actual game portion, uh, you play as Altair and you go around and you do little 
little mini missions like pickpocketing people or eavesdropping on people or climbing really high and leaping off buildings. And while you do these mini missions, you build up a knowledge base about people that you're going to kill. And then when you build up enough knowledge base, you kill them. And then you do that again. And that's kind of the Assassin's Creed game mechanic. Uh, you go to a new area. Uh, so like you may go to the city of Jerusalem. Uh, you climb really high to get like a, an eagle view of the area. You find out the mini missions that you need to do. So you pickpocket a guy. Maybe you beat a guy up in an alleyway. Uh, you rescue citizens for like assistance. So like there's like these citizens that are just like getting attacked by guards. And you save the citizens from them getting beaten up. And uh, they then help you by either activating a group of monks that you can then uh, use to sneak into somewhere or activating vigilantes who will get in the way of people who are pursuing you. And then you learn about killing somebody and then you kill them. I'm a, a few hours into the game. I don't, I apparently have left this game running a number of times because I'm definitely only like four or five hours into the game and I have like 32 hours played on Steam <laughs> and I don't know if I've ever played the part that I'm in already and I'm only like four hours in. So I definitely have just like left this game running for days. Probably, and this is my con since Zach had a pro and a con, my con is probably because it takes forever to get out of the game. So in order for you to quit Assassin's Creed on the PC, you have to first exit the memory that you're in. So you push the escape button and you click exit memory. You then go to the Animus and in the Animus, you have to then go and exit like the Animus. Then you can go to the regular pause menu and you can exit your profile. Then you go to the main menu. You have to select your profile. Once you have done that, you can then exit the game. And it's probably why I just let it run for like 20 hours straight and didn't get very far in the game. I played it when it came out back in 2008 on my buddy's Xbox. I might have gotten farther in the game, but... Uh, I have forgotten. So my current mission with this playthrough is to do the main storyline and be done with it. I'm going to put about 15 hours into the game. I'm going to beat the main storyline and then I'm going to go on to play Assassin's Creed 2. Because my goal is to play... All of them? No, I want to really get to Black Flag. Oh, okay. Which one's the one with the Revolutionary War? Because that one looks fun. That's Black Flag. Is that Black Flag? Oh, good. Yeah, so I that's I want to get to Black Flag because my friend bought it for me for Christmas two Christmases ago oh, and okay. Okay. said that it's a really great Assassin's Creed game and I should play it. And I'm the kind of person who doesn't like to play a game without playing its prequel games. Yeah, yeah I don't. Yeah, yeah. So I don't like to pick up like a third game in a series without playing prequels. Up to and including like I don't particularly like playing. I won't like to play like Metroid Dread mm -hmm. without actually going back and playing like Super Metroid or something. Yeah, right, right, right. Like I want to know the story. I don't want to be left out in the dark. It's a really bad neuroses of mine, but uh, it's just something I have to do. What ends up happening though is I end up getting frustrated with earlier games and I end up not getting to play the game that I wanted to play originally. Right, yeah. Which I was also playing Codename 47 and that game is, that's a trip. But anyway, we're not here to talk about Codename 47, Assassin's Creed or Outer Worlds or my neuroses anymore today thanks to our, our our loyal listener and fan ace we're going to talk about duck hunt let's talk about our um memories of duck hunt 
and then we'll get into the history. So I have two memories related to Duck Hunt. My first memory is that when we first got our original Nintendo, which as listeners might know, Seth and I did not grow up with an original Nintendo. We found one at a church sale and it came with a copy of Legend of Zelda 2 and it came with a copy of Mario and Duck Hunt and it also came with a copy of Airwolf, the uh, helicopter game based on the TV show, which I don't think, I don't know if that game ever worked. Anyway, we had a copy of Duck Hunt and had the zapper and I thought it was really neat. I loved the idea of the way the zapper worked because while the Sega had a uh, light gun peripheral, we never had it. So it was my first kind of experience with that light gun style of gameplay. And I thought it was a very um, novel thing, even as a child. I thought it was very cool. My other memory is cut ahead a few years later. Dad bought me a plug and play game system called the Super Joy Power Player 3, which is a Famicom bootleg that was sold in kiosks in the early 2000s. Dad found one at a kiosk in a mall in the early 2000s. I think I was with him and I said, I want that. And a few days later, I got that. And that came with a bunch of built-in games, including a copy of Duck Hunt. But the light gun for that looked like a semi-automatic handgun uh, with a little orange tip. It looked like a pistol. Like if you took the orange tip off, you could probably rob a bank with it sort of deal. But yeah, those are my two particular memories of Duck Hunt. What about you, Seth? Do you have any memories? Yeah, I remember playing the game in our uh, our living room back in our home that we grew up in and shooting the Magnavox television set that we owned. Yes, yeah. And watching that dog mock me for missing the shots at the duck. I remember like going in and picking out the like whether you're shooting clay, the like skeet shooting or you're yeah, shooting yeah. the uh, uh the ducks. Though I'm I'm disappointed that I didn't know that it was two players back then. Did you know that it was two players? I was aware that it was two players. But not back then, because you were a child. Not back then. I am aware there's two players now. (laughs) If you are listening and you did not know, Duck Hunt on the Nintendo Entertainment System is a two-player game. The first player controls the gun. The second player controls the ducks. To get on with the history, when you think about Duck Hunt, you don't necessarily automatically think about the Nintendo Entertainment System Duck Hunt game, do you? Or do you think back to 1968? to the Sega Duck Hunt because Sega made an amusement park game called Duck Hunt. The Sega Duck Hunt resembled a light gun game where you would have to shoot 10 ducks as they flew across a screen. However, it was a video projection electro-mechanical game that used rear image projection to create these animations of ducks. It was one of the first machines that had animated targets that displayed on on a screen instead of actual physical static targets like in a carnival game. And in fact, it actually was released in 1968, which means it predated video games that would eventually start arriving in arcades a few years later. For example, Pong in 1972. So now, how did the Sega electromechanical game in the late 60s about hunting ducks lead to the NES duck hunt game that had the ever-so-helpful annoying dog? When we say, if you ever heard of duck hunt, is the game you think about. Well, the Sega Duck Hunt game may or may not have influenced Nintendo's light gun shooting games. In 1974, Nintendo released Wild Gunman, which was a video projection electromechanical game that was similar to Sega's Duck Hunt. While we're talking about Wild Gunman, 
and we'll talk a little bit more about him later. Wild Gunman would get a remake. So it was released as a retro-mechanical game and then would get remade by Nintendo in 1984 for both the Nintendo Entertainment System and the PlayChoice 10 arcade system. Now, here's the fun fact. The Wild Gunman game would be shown in the 1989 movie Back to the Future Part 2 where Marty is visiting the future and goes to an 80s bar where there is the Wild Gunman arcade cabinet. But it's in a cabinet that looks like a Nintendo versus system cabinet, not a PlayChoice 10 arcade cabinet, and is in fact a non-existent arcade game. It is actually a game that was built by Nintendo for Back to the Future 2. So there was only one of these Wild Gunman arcade cabinet games. Now, Marty in the movie would go on to play the machine, and it would be kind of a foreshadowing to his the third movie, where he has to play a shooting gallery game in 1889. Now, because of the release where Wild Gunman, a light electro-mechanical game, came out in 1974, some believe that the Sega Duck Hunt game in 1968 was the inspiration for that. However, Nintendo also had a laser clay shooting system that also was an influence to what would eventually become Duck Hunt, which they created back in 1973 after the Sega Duck Hunt game, but it was a different system entirely. So it wasn't really inspiration on the Duck Hunt Sega game. It was actually so large that they would go into bowling alleys. Bowling alleys? Seth, did you say bowling alleys? I did. I did. Something that some of you might not know, one of the exports from post-World War II era America to post-World War II era Japan was bowling. And baseball. And baseball. And it became a popular fad. Uh, And baseball became a pastime in in Japan. However, by the 1970s, this popular fad was turning into a passing fad, as bowling did everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you go to a bowling alley today, there's a reason it still smells like it's from the 70s. Many owners of bowling alleys were having to shut their doors because there was just a lack of interest. Uh, Less and less people were going to bowling alleys, which I will reiterate is still a problem with today's bowling alleys. Bowling alleys were shutting down all throughout the world, (laughs) including Japan, because there was just a lack of interest. Gunpei Yokoi, who worked for Nintendo, uh, had this newfound interest in rifles and skeet shooting, and also had an interest in technology of light guns. So he presented this idea to Nintendo's president Hiroshi Yamauchi as a potential opportunity. Nintendo then went off, bought a bunch of abandoned bowling alleys, and opened up shooting simulations, with one of their first opening up in 1973. The way Nintendo would do it was they would install overhead projectors that would display out targets and landscapes, and there were mechanisms that consisted of reflectors that would determine if the target was struck or not. The cost of these systems was 4 to 4.5 million yen, which considering in uh, an inflation of about 10.4 million yen in today's money, roughly translates to about $90,000. Everything was going great. The test location was at capacity, and a new subsidiary of Nintendo, Nintendo Leisure System Company Limited, had a bunch of pre-orders for these systems. So, it seemed like things were just 
going better and better until October of the same year, 1973. October of 1973, for those of you who might not know, was the global energy crisis that impacted the entire world, specifically Japan. And in this instance, as Japan, which imported 90% of its oil from the Middle East, they had to scale back as they were bracing for a huge increase in energy that would trigger a recession. People could not afford to buy the laser clay shooting system, and most of the orders were canceled. However, Nintendo was so heavily invested into the system, and with all the cancellations, their profits were becoming severely cut. They found themselves quickly in debt to the tune of 5 billion yen. Uh, for that time, about $64 million, or in today's money, it would be equivalent to almost 13 billion yen, or $112 million. It would take Nintendo seven years to dig themselves out of this hole. However, as a publicly traded company, the shareholders kept the faith that Nintendo was a victim of circumstance and not really responsible for this overall problem. So the, the shareholders weren't necessarily dissuaded by what was happening. Now, the laser clay shooting system was not over, <laughs> as you would think it would be with a massive debt and a global crisis. Uh, President Yamauchi and Gunpei Yokoi decided to redesign it to a smaller and cheaper system called the Mini Laser Clay. And it was uh, small enough that it could actually get into arcades. They were still having difficulty getting sales, so they incorporated an idea that Yokoi had of using 16mm projectors and video, which would get it into a form factor of an arcade cabinet. They created a number of uh, mini laser clay systems. Uh, there was Wild Gunman in 1974, Skyhawk in 76, Battle Shark in 77, which I think it's the same year that Jaws came out. Yeah, which is why there was a lot of shark games. There was also Test Driver, which came out in 77. Uh, they also designed a Wild Gunman-style game, but instead of a cowboy, there was a Swedish woman in an evening outfit. And the player would use the gun and shoot off her clothing until she was nude. It was called Fascination, and it was not released to the public, which probably smart choice on Nintendo's part. We brought in some imagery in our, our notes of uh, what the Wild uh, gunman our arcade cabinet looked like and it was probably a, a pretty large cabinet still where you had like almost like a private viewing screen of like a movie and you had like a cowboys on the screen that you shoot at it was a really cool like kind of setup like going to see like an old-timey movie that you could shoot with your rifle now in uh 1976 with nintendo's growing knowledge of shrinking the electromechanical devices for the arcades, they wanted to get these machines in another place, people's homes, because there are a lot more homes than there are arcades. They worked on creating uh, electromechanical toys, kind of like the custom gunman and the custom lion, which were little targets that got bundled with a light gun where you could take your light gun, you shoot at the target, and the target would end up like collapsing or doing something. It would activate. And you could buy various different sets of these physical targets that you could shoot at. They also released Duck Hunt, which came with a uh, shotgun and a projector. You would use the projector to project the little ducks on the wall that would fly up from the bottom of the projector and you'd shoot them and they would fall down in the same animation as Duck Hunt for the NES game. Now, after watching some footage of the Duck Hunt 1976 game, it's obvious where they got their inspiration for the video game, which would be later released. Nintendo Research and Development 1 created both the NES 
version of Duck Hunt and the Zapper peripheral that would come with the game. The Zapper peripheral originally came in dark and light gray color schemes, which uh, Zach and I owned a copy that was the dark gray and light gray color scheme. However, this Zapper did look very different in the NES appearance versus the Famicom counterpart. The Zapper for the NES was more like a ray gun you would maybe see in Star Trek or Star Wars, where the Famicom light gun was made originally for the Wild Gunman was really based directly on the Colt single-action army revolver. So it looked like a gun. Yeah, including having, like, wood finish on the handle. (laughs) Something that you would uh, be arrested or shot for, for carrying. The gray zapper would eventually become the orange zapper that people may be more familiar with. This is due to the passing of the 1988 federal gun toy law in the United States. This law required gun toys to be visually distinct from real guns, including the color of them. And that is why... Super Soakers, Nerf Guns, and the Nintendo Zapper are all very silly colors. The Zapper was included in a launch bundle for the uh, original Nintendo in October of 1985. This bundle not only included the NES console, a Zapper, a copy of Duck Hunt, but also the robotic operating buddy, or Rob, and his corresponding game, Gyromite. We've never talked about Rob before in this podcast, but I love Rob. Now, the Zapper and most light guns from the era of the Zapper work rather ingeniously. You see, the way the zapper works is you plug it directly into a controller port on your NES, and when the trigger is pulled, the screen will flash completely black for a fraction of a fraction of a second. Literally, one frame, completely black. Just after the screen is black, a white box will appear for, again, one frame exactly where your target is supposed to be. So for example, the duck. If you are shooting at the duck, the duck will appear as a white square. The light gun looks for this white square, and if it can see the white square, then it registers as a hit. The reason for the sequence, the reason it goes pitch black, and then the target displays, is because this actually prevents external light sources from accidentally triggering a positive score. Because otherwise, if the light gun was just looking for light, you could easily rack up points by pointing it at a light bulb, which you could do with other light guns, especially older ones from prior to the NES release. This function, however, sadly does not work on modern TVs. And this is due to the fact that modern TVs have a longer lag time in their display, making the function completely inoperative. So even if you have a way of playing your NES on your like high-def LCD TV, your 4K, OLED, whatever, Duck Hunt will just simply not work. There is no way to get an original NES completely unmodded to have Duck Hunt function the way it's supposed to when you're using a old CRT. However, there have been some companies that have made their own versions of the Zapper, which are supposed to be designed to work on modern TVs. One of these being a company called Hyperkin. Some of these devices require special code to be injected into the Duck Hunt game directly. So they are often sold with a special adapter that you have to plug Duck Hunt into so 
that the code can be injected into the ROM, or you have to run a special patched version of the game through a flash cart like the EverDrive, which an EverDrive is like a $200 investment, and these devices are like 30, 40 bucks. So it's just not a simple way of getting a zapper to work on a modern TV. You'd probably be better off finding a CRT and just hooking up your old Nintendo to that to play Duck Hunt the way it's supposed to be played. And there's also reports that some of these guns just simply don't work properly. I've never personally used them, but I've seen a couple reviews saying that the Hyperkin one does have some flaws that needs to be corrected, and they they haven't since made those corrections. Now, Duck Hunt itself is a fairly simple game by nature. You play as an unnamed hunter who can have any name, so they could be you, who is after some ducks. Uh, helping you is your trusty dog who will certainly not laugh at you for your failure as you try to shoot some ducks. And by that, I mean he will. Ducks will fly up from uh, behind some tall grasses and you'll you'll hunt them. So each round has 10 ducks with uh, the rounds getting faster and more difficult. You have a total of three shots to bag the duck. There's also game B, which has two ducks to hunt instead of one. As ducks fly up from the grass, they will jump around the screen erratically, making it hard to nail down their exact position. Game C is clay shooting which is very similar to Duck Hunt, but you shoot clay pigeons that are launched into the distance. And there's a, a weird sound that they go... <laughs> However, despite the difference, it's still three shots with a maximum of 10 clay pigeons to shoot per round. Along with the NES version, there was also an arcade cabinet that was released for the Nintendo Versus system. Uh, as the Versus system were just Nintendo Entertainment systems in arcade cabinets, the game itself doesn't really change much from the, the home console, uh, besides some updates to the menus. In the Versus Duck Hunt game, the clay shooting segments were part of a bonus round that would play between rounds of the main game. There was a short interlude between later rounds where you could shoot the dog and he would say, shoot the ducks, not me, that would come up in text. The Versus Duck Hunt arcade game was very popular when it was uh, first released and it quickly rose the charts and in 1985 it was cited as being the third top grossing arcade game. The number one game for uh, that time was Versus Hogan's Alley, which was another light gun game. Uh, the NES cartridge version of Duck Hunt was bundled with the console. It was eventually split with uh, Super Mario Brothers and packed in with the console. So you would get the console and then you would get Super Mario Brothers slash Duck Hunt on one game cartridge. And that was the coolest thing ever because you put in that game cartridge and you pick whether you're playing Mario Bros or you're playing Duck Hunt, and that was a really good decision to make. Like, that was just a fun choice to make. And there was also a later version where it came with Super Mario Bros. and World Class Track Meet, and that was bundled with the Power Pad, which was this, like, thing that you could use to, like, play sports games with. Oh, wow, a three-in-one card. Yeah, That's fun. Yeah. Now, Duck Hunt is actually considered within the top 30 selling games of all time. According to uh, some documents, it has a 25th. However, there are some games that sold the same amount of games so there's like five games that are sitting at 19th rank which if they all sold that same game they would sell more than duck hunt so at least in the top i would say in the top 30 of all times out of every single game that's ever been released ever duck hunt sold within the top 30 which is pretty impressive it sold a total of 28.3 million copies worldwide zach and i had a discussion maybe a little disagreement in regards to this duck hunt was commonly packed into a lot of different bundles if you bought a Nintendo Entertainment System, you'd get Duck Hunt, you would get Duck Hunt and Super Mario Brothers, 
you would get Duck Hunt, Super Mario Brothers, and World Class Track Me. All of those packed in copies of games count for sales. So I guess where my argument comes into play is like, and you can make this argument about any pack in game, though arguably a lot of pack in games were reasons why the console sold well. So like, for example, Sonic was packed in with the Sega, but a lot of people bought Sega because of Sonic. So I would count that sale. However, when I hear people talking about why they bought a Nintendo back in the day, it was likely more to play Super Mario Brothers or like one of the arcade ports that were available, not necessarily to play Duck Hunt. Duck Hunt seemed to be something that was just kind of added in and was a nice thing to have. In my interpretation, it's it's just harder to gauge the numbers because when we say something like, oh, let's say Legend of Zelda sold X number of copies, Legend of Zelda wasn't a pack-in, so people were going to the store to buy Legend of Zelda. Duck Hunt was a pack-in. People were buying Nintendo systems and getting Duck Hunt. So like, that's where I think I have a little bit of contention with the numbers. I'm not going to say that Duck Hunt's not a good game. I love Duck Hunt, but I'm just saying, I think those numbers can be a bit controversial is my personal opinion. My personal opinion is a sale is a sale. Regardless if you sell Duck Hunt by itself or with the Nintendo, because how do you not know that the Zapper wasn't what the reason people like guns, they like the Zapper because it was also already doing so successfully in Japan. Yeah, that's fair. Having a light gun was different than whatever competition was in the market at that time. And so I think that Duck Hunt is a good reason to get a Nintendo. So I think a sale is a sale and the the numbers stand. Duck Hunt, top 30 of all times. Now, let's talk about the legacy of Duck Hunt because Duck Hunt left a long lasting legacy. Not only were other companies soon trying to copy the success of the Zapper, uh, Sega in particular released something called the the Phaser, I believe is what they called it, which they just like stole the name from, from Star trek but there is also the character of the duck hunt dog you might remember at the very beginning of this episode seth alluded to the fact that that dog that dog laughs at you whenever you miss a duck well seth wasn't the only person to notice that a lot of people noticed that in fact the duck hunt dog soon became almost a a pop culture figure in himself uh, largely due to how players felt so annoyed by him laughing at you every single time you missed a shot. And yeah, it's pretty frustrating when you're playing a game that's a little difficult, especially as a kid, and you miss a shot and the dog giggles at you. Like, like it just, it's the sense of failure. However, I think the dog has kind of earned this new life because he's recently appeared in Super Smash Bros. 4 and also Smash Bros. Ultimate, where he's a playable character. He also did have some cameos in other uh, Nintendo games. He was in a game called Barker Bill's Trick Shooting, which is also a light gun game, and a Game Boy Advance game called WarriorWare Incorporated, Mega Micro Game, game spelled with a dollar sign instead of an S, exclamation point. Because yeah. <laughs> that's how Wario spells all of his S's. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, the dog Duck Hunt Dog has appeared in a bunch of stuff. He's also been in, like, I think Robot Chicken sketches, in, like, Family Guy episodes. He's been in College Humor sketches. He's been in the movie Pixels. It's like... So the Duck Hunt Dog, he's like a larger brown dog with a... With a white freckled face and um, dark black ears. 
and he has a, a great little laugh. He also gets really happy for you when you kill ducks, and he holds them up. However, I want people to know that in Duck Hunt, when the dog holds up the ducks that you have shot, the duck's eyes are still open, and they are giving side-eye, which, so what happens with those <laughs> ducks? And why are you killing so many? So Seth alluded to it. In versus Duck Hunt, you can shoot the dog. In Duck Hunt for the NES, you cannot. That is an urban legend and it's actually it's listed in a bunch of places as like one of the top video gaming urban legends of all time is that you could shoot the dog you cannot shoot the dog in the nes version at all you can shoot him in the the vs duck hunt um and he gets grumpy and he says shoot the dogs not me so that's just just had to say that don't shoot the dog dog's great just because he laughs at you duck hunt was also released for the uh wii u virtual console in 2014 yes all right that's duck hunt now that we're done with duck hunt we'll go on to the bullwhippa the by weight pass i'll go first you go first all the time okie dokie all right put on your listening ears this game is actually in early access now Ooh. it takes place in the middle ages where you were born a lord but unfortunately, you're bored of hunting, perhaps even bored of duck hunting, executions, tournaments, feasts, and beautiful maidens. You only have one dream left. Have your entire castle surrounded by enemies to be destroyed. Okay. What game is this? Diplomacy is not an option. Uh, I'm going to look this game up, and we will be back soon. And we're back. So Diplomacy is Not an Option is a, a game that is out in early access, as Seth has referenced. It is being developed by Door 407 and published by Door 407. Uh, it's a city building, tower defense, sandbox strategy game. So personally, I think I'm going to put it down as a pass. I love strategy games and I love city builders. However, I don't know. Like, I, I'm not super into tower defense. And that looks like that's the bigger gameplay mechanic of this game is the tower defense portion and i'm just not that interested in tower defense games uh, almost at all i i don't like them i'm not unfortunately super interested in this game i do think the aesthetic is very nice i do think the graphics look kind of cute if you like like cell shaded like kind of cartoony kind of funny looking games you you might be interested in this does look like it could be fun but personally not for me so i'm gonna put it down as a pass seth seth are you ready for your game i am ready for my game this game seth has been in development for quite some time <laughs> it is uh due out later this year in december of 2022 and it's the fourth game in the series however it will be the first game in the series since the last game was released in 2009 this game is based in a, a world that is uh, on a brink of collapse uh it's also heavily based on a book series and a film series that um were uh, also very popular before the original game was it was created based on this and the setting of it is chernobyl are you interested in this game sure this game is stalker 2 heart of chernobyl oh we're gonna take a short break and we're back 
While Zach and I were away, we discussed that they spell their game with a period after every single letter, which gets me confused because there is a game called Fear, which also spells their game with a period after every letter. However, Fear is a scary video game with jump scares. And Stalker, I own the original game. I don't know if I've actually ever played it because now I'm getting it confused with Fear. So I'm pretty sure I played Fear. I don't know if I've played Stalker. Stalker is a what's known as a backronym where they made up the acronym because their game has an acronym so then they had to make up an acronym to explain the acronym and that's the acronym and stalker stands for scavengers trespassers adventurers loners killers explorers and robbers yeah so like every other word is a bad person but and it escalates pretty quick and then de-escalates because you have like scavengers and like a trespasser and then an adventurer like the trespasser is the negative person and then you have loners which is like fine and then you have killers and then you have explorers which is back to being nice and who cares and then robbers i i'm gonna put this i'm gonna put this on my wish list and it's due out in nine months and one of I'm going to do since I own the original Stalker. I'm going to in 9 months I'm going to try and play Stalker. And if I like it, I will buy the sequel. Nice. If I don't play it in 9 months, then I'm probably not going to play the sequel. Fair enough. So we're going to put it down as a wait and then we'll see if Stalker comes up as a uh, byway pass. I I do I own all of them except Clear Sky apparently. I own Stalker Call of Pripyat and Stalker Shadow of Chernobyl. Maybe I'll have a like a thing where i'll like watch chernobyl and then i'll play stalker shadow of chernobyl and then you can watch the 1979 movie stalker uh, which the video game is based on and then you can read the book roadside picnic by arkady and boris Strukowski. that's not gonna happen i don't read <laughs> except your emails and that's gonna be our episode once again thanks to ace for sending in your, your email which i read and i appreciate and we enjoyed the episode topic and if you are listening and you want to have us do a topic about a game send it in and we will work on putting it in the pipeline and get to your topic if we haven't gotten to your topic yet we're working on it or we've forgotten but we're we're pretty good at trying to get to everything if you want to do that and send us that email you can send it to classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com uh, you can also follow us on our all social medias uh, we are uh, classic gaming brothers at facebook instagram and twitch and we are cg brothers pod on twitter you can also check out our website which is classicgamingbrothers.com and you can find and listen to us wherever podcasts are listened to and go ahead and listen to more episodes and while you're at it give us a rating give us a review they really work and help us out with discovery and all that jazz uh sack is there anything else that i'm missing don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been zach and i've been seth we have been the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right, right. <laughs>